This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Kind of excited. Finally talk about baseball being back. Can't wait for this spring. I mean, midsummer. I mean, regular season. I mean, 60-game season. It's kind of cool being able to watch highlights of the NBA. They're doing their scrimmages now. And the MLS has been fun to watch, too. I'm a big soccer guy. And I'm so encouraged that they're able to play in the Orlando bubble. No positive test. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade back on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Michael Waltz coming up in 10 minutes. I'll keep the A block short. Brad Thor at 945. Uh, conservative writer, great writer, and uh, we're, it's our privilege to have him with us live. So we'll talk about that. It's going to be a great three hours. So glad you keep listening. And keep in mind, if you ever miss the show, you got that thing called the podcast on iTunes, on iHeart, on, radio, uh, on radio.com. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's been this long challenge of the Chinese Communist Party stealing intellectual property. We actually talked about this. It's not just American intellectual property, but stolen. It's been European intellectual property, too. Stolen by the Chinese Communist Party. Ah, uh, there you go. China, the Trump administration going where no administration has gone before and is uniting the world against China and turning up the heat inside our own country, gutting the Houston consulate, and they burned everything before they left. Will there be backlash? You bet. Is it going to be worth it? I say yes. Number two. The children in your family, your son, your grandchildren, are you comfortable? Do you plan to have them back in person, in school? Yeah, well, I am comfortable with that. And we do have a national strategy. But as you know, ultimately, it's up to the governors of the states. Coronavirus. Uh, That is Jonathan Carl asking the president that question. We are surging towards a vaccine. While cases are rise and testing rushes to meet the demand, the question, would you send your kid back to school like the president? If you're a teacher, are you comfortable in the classroom? The president sure is. I am. I'm comfortable as a parent. What about you? Number one. This is a egregious overreaction on the part of the federal officer. There was nothing that I saw in that warranted this reaction. This is not a de-escalation strategy. This is flat-out urban warfare. Ted Wheeler, clueless liberal mayor in Portland. Trump takes it to the streets in two more cities. Despite the pushback from Democratic mayors and Hyden Biden, the president is determined to bring chaos and killing to an end with federal agents helping. I'll tell you where the political and criminal battle stands today in Portland, Chicago, New York, Albuquerque and more. So let's get started. I'll be set to uh, talk to you in detail about this a little bit later, especially take your calls at one 408 But I just want to tell you a theme. If you look at the mayor in Seattle, the mayor was saying it's going to be a city, a a summer of love. And how dare the president call out that Occupy Zone? It's wonderful. Really? 
Within five weeks, it was turned out to total anarchy. Antifa infiltrated on the inside. African-Americans were pushed on the outside, and they came after her house. In Oakland, she said, everyone back off. The civil unrest is good for a country that's healing from slavery. And now they're raiding her house and defiling her property and broke her fence. And then you have Ted Wheeler show up and try to push back on federal agents there because after 55 days, they cannot establish calm in that city. And they've lost tr- millions of dollars in commerce, let alone what the coronavirus has done, as cities and towns and malls just can't open up because this group that doesn't talk about racial justice, they talk about wrecking federal property, can't be led under control. So the president a week ago said, I'm going to put federal agents in there. Who are they? They're ATF, they're FBI, they're U.S. Marshals, and they're coming in to aid. First protect, then to aid. Three of which have might be permanently blinded by lasers. Now, what do you get here? You get Ted Wheeler showing up the side of the protesters last night uh, with the protesters knowing his law enforcement's been overrun. And he shows up and he basically gets cursed out in front of the world. And he has to be thoroughly embarrassed. People are talking about how he was tear gassed. Talk about the fact that they were saving blank you. You're part of the problem. They want to take 50% of the police budget away. Now, keep in mind, Portland, already their calls after you called 911 are down significantly. So many people said they've been burglarized. There have been shootings in their neighborhood. They don't feel safe. And cops are slow to return uh, to return to any type of normalcy, even in the suburbs. Every night between 500 and 1,000 anarchists are wreaking havoc. One group is called uh, the Pacific Northwest Youth Liberation Front. They're an offshoot of of Antifa, and they're an anti-capitalist group, anti-fascist group. Forget the anti-fascist group. They're against our way of, of economic growth. Those are called losers who don't want to participate. A quote from Daryl Turner, an African-American union president of the Portland Police Association. In case you think it's just Brian Kilmeade's decision, which should your uh, opinion, which should be enough. Quote, a small number of individuals have hijacked the racial equity platform of peaceful protesters. Turner declared destructive and chaotic behavior that I've seen defines the meaning of white privilege. So what he's saying is most of these clowns are white guys and women, and they're creating havoc, not in the name of racial justice, not to make us a better country, economic values, to make the schools better, modernizing policing in a way that's going to work for whatever city you're in. They're there because there's an opportunity to create unrest. So how long on this show we've we been talking about Chicago, a place I've only been to two or three times, and where the anarchy is really taking root prior to any George Floyd death has been in the South side. President Obama mysteriously, and it stuns me in retrospect with Rahm Emanuel as mayor, never used federal apparatus and tools to help bring a sense of peace to that area. It's gang warfare. Kids are being killed. So the president says, I'm going to put federal troops in there and I'm going to help you out a hundred to 200. And this mayor, Mayor Lightfoot, says no way, cut five. That's not democracy that we saw unfolding on the streets of Portland as a result of this federal action. That's what we call tyranny and dictatorship. And we are not having it in Chicago. Okay, this is a place where, in Chicago, 15 people wounded in a mass shooting outside a funeral. 
And guess what? The people at the funeral were shooting back. In Chicago, we had 414 homicides, up 51% from 2019, which is pretty terrible. Over the weekend, July 17th, 60 people were shot, and the president's offering help, and she's concerned about anarchy in the streets. You had this mayor. I've never seen someone so inept in my life. She's going, I want the people to tell me who shot up the play, who shot up the funeral. Oh, I'm going to get on camera and talk to people without cable and without a television. Um, maybe they have the Syria, the Sirius app. And are list, going to listen to it and go, you know what? Now that the mayor asked me, I might as well tell you what gang member shot up a funeral and who shot back. So when he, she's offered help, Trump's the bad guy. Please tell me, even if you're anti-Trump, and we get a lot of those callers, and that's great. Please tell me you understand there is no other side to this. Here's Raymond Lopez, a, um, a alderman uh, who's a Democrat from the 15th Ward. Cut 13. Obviously, we're a city of Democrats, but we're a city of different kinds of Democrats. And I'm more of a, a middle-of-the-road kind of Democrat who believes that we can't have social justice, we can't have good relations with police, and we can't have good safety all in the same city. It is possible. We have done it in my ward. And unfortunately... Too many politicians in my city and across this nation find it's easier to pander to the lowest common denominator in our societies as opposed to challenging people to believe and aspire for something greater. Got to get city. You have to get cops on every street corner. You have to go into the communities and find out where the problem is. And you got to make it okay for people trying to make a living to live in Chicago. For children, obviously, what is a child, a three-year-old child who was killed, who, uh, who we find out, this whole operation was named after him, Operation Legend, it's his uh, uh, first name, and he was killed. He had a heart operation as a kid. It was miraculous that he survived. Then he gets killed in his house. You got to be kidding me. And they said when the mom came out and spoke and say how honored she was to have this operation named after her, they said, does this mayor Lightfoot, that she's a political prop. Please tell me that you do not fall for that. Even if you're the most severe anti-Trumper, please tell me you're offended by that. I'm sure this, this, this mom never voted for President Trump, but she wants it to stop. And then we can get into who's better at stopping it. I know for, one, for eight years, President Obama ignored it, and it makes no sense to me. Uh, in New York, they said, you better, not, uh, bring, you better not bring federal troops here. You've done such a great job uh, bringing calm to the city, Mr. Mayor. The, word, the last thing you should be doing is rejecting federal help. Oh, but you do want it. A big check to schools. Take the billion dollars you took out of the police department and help open up your schools. I got news for you. You don't need the money. And you know you don't need the money. You're going to get some money. But now you're telling everybody, I don't have the money to open up the schools. That is basically hostage taking. And lastly, you talk about how political this is. Bobby Rush. Remember, he was the probably the only politician to defeat Barack Obama. Former Black Panther. Uh, so, you know, he's a quality human being, a Democrat from Illinois on the Joe Madison show, very successful host, uh, said this about the president. Cut for Trump wants to instigate a race war. He want to have black folks, white fighting white folks, so he can rise up and say, I'm the real uh, uh, grand, grand wizard of the clan, and I'm the president that reelect me. That's what he's trying to do. 
Oh, that's Bobby Rush, which he does not understand is the KKK was made up of Democrats. So they would have accepted Donald Trump anyway. And when you talk about a guy that just wants to put the attorney general, Department of Justice, wants to give federal troops, physical bodies and intelligence, ATF, FBI, to help out struggling cities. And you say he's the grand wizard. How inappropriate is that? As inappropriate as Joe Biden saying the president's the first racist president. That's a guy that's scared to death this president's going to take a big chunk of the African-American vote, if you ask me. But maybe you think I'm off. And the most important thing is that you pick up the phone and call 1-866-408-7669. We'll get to the other two big talking points, but I got to get to the civil unrest and more with our next guest. And that is Congressman Michael Waltz, the former Green Beret guy. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. President Trump is trying to ratchet up a Cold War with China, I think in large part to distract from his own failures in dealing with the coronavirus here at home, which he calls the China flu or even the Kung flu in a, in a pretty racist uh, manner. And so it's, it's you know, this, this just seems to be more evidence of Trump uh, trying to demonize China. And- yeah, so putting two aircraft carriers when he's trying to, when China's trying to take it over the South China Sea is him trying to win an election. That, according to Max Boot, a, rep- a conservative who just hates the president uh, and has made a living and gets booked on all these shows because he hates the president. So then he sees the fact that the president gave, or Mike Pompeo gave on the president's authority, uh, gave the Houston consulate 72 hours to clear out, and they burned all their paperwork. If they didn't have anything to hide, or they were have briefcases, you don't usually burn stuff. Uh, so really, China and espionage is all political ploy. 
to distract, let's uh, bring in Michael Waltz, uh, former Green Beret in his other days, now with the National Guard, and now a Florida congressman. Congressman, is the president doing this as an election ploy? Absolutely not, Brian. And that's that's just really disturbing to hear uh, from Max. China is the greatest threat this country has ever faced in its history. Uh, and we need to wake up to it as a as a country. Exactly what Max uh, Boot was saying is exactly what Jimmy Carter said in 1980 when Ronald Reagan uh, started describing the Soviet Union as the evil empire uh, that it was. It was not uh, a, a competitor to be to be competed with, it was an evil empire to be defeated. And that's uh, how this president is trying to shift our thinking. China has been in a Cold War with the United States for almost at least two decades. And it, it is fine time where we wake up to it. To your point on the, on the consulate, uh, look, this has been a systematic effort by the Chinese to infuse our universities with professors, with research, uh, uh, with, with research assistants and with students in the wholesale siphoning of our technology. And I, for one, on the Armed Services Committee, am tired of making these billions of dollars investments into, into artificial intelligence, robotics, advanced materials to watch it be siphoned right over to Beijing. They just launched a stealth fighter that looks exactly like ours, ships that look just like ours, and they just launched a rover to Mars on a rocket that looks exactly like ours. They are stealing the way to the top. And we need to wake up, Brian. Well, we absolutely do. And the question is, I know the elements are there, but have you seen a plan to lance together UK, who kicked out Huawei, Australia, Australia, who took them on and condemned them for the coronavirus and now is changing their defensive strategy entirely uh, to plan against them? Have you seen Saudi Arabia, who is upset about this Iranian-China deal? Have you seen a lancing together of these allies against China? We're getting there, uh, Brian. The, the, the reason China is such a, a dangerous adversary is their economy is as big or bigger than ours, and they have their tentacles everywhere, uh, across Africa, across Europe, and people, including many American companies, uh, the, are addicted to their cheap labor, and they are practically giving things away to get people hooked and get companies hooked on their technology. But between uh, Secretary of Defense Esper, National Security Advisor O'Brien, the China task force that I'm on, on the House, uh, and, and, the, and the president's leadership, we are, we are getting them there. The thing that we have that the Chinese do not have are allies, and we get the Indians, the Australians, Japanese, South Koreans, and Europeans on board. And uh, we, will be able to, we will be able to contain this threat. But the biggest piece is they are, they are racing their way to their top technologically, and they're doing it by stealing ours, either through cyber, through our universities, or through mergers and acquisitions and just, and just buying up uh, many companies now, technology companies that are bankrupt because of COVID. So, uh, and and uh, we have to fight this fight. So if the president's going to close the gap, he's going to need a successful convention in unconventional times. You helped push Jacksonville to get this since the virus has surged there. Yeah. What could you tell us about the turnout that you're expecting or not expecting? So the convention is absolutely going to happen. I think the, the president and Ronna McDaniel, uh, with, with, with her leadership, have pared it down. It's going to be delegates only the first few days where we have the first lady and uh, the vice president 
uh, giving their speeches, and then we'll come together uh, for the president the last day. Uh, so we will have testing in place. Every delegate's going to be tested, PPE in place. Uh, uh, and more hand red hand sanitizer that I think you could shake a stick at. We're, we can do this safely, and I think we can demonstrate that we can do these kind of things in a responsible way but still move. You know, th these conventions are critical uh, to our republic, and we, and we need to move forward with it. And the president can lay out his vision for what he's done and what he plans to do in the next four years. And, you know, we, uh, as we're talking about China, uh, Brian, you know, Joe Biden, as we speak, uh, his son is an equity holder, is a partner with the Central Bank of China uh, on a number of deals uh, that he entered while on official business, while Vice President uh, Biden uh, was over there having official meetings. Uh, that, to me, is incredible. We need to get to the bottom of it. We need to expose it. And we will not take we will not be tough on China with Joe Biden as president. He they made that clear. Exactly what the, Max Boot uh, echoed, that this is just yeah. something that gotcha. uh, country to get along with. Congressman Michael Waltz, thank you. Back with your calls next. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's great to see you and all the frontline workers. You know, you risk your lives every time you go to work. And, and how uh, how you would, uh, the question is how to protect, uh, how to protect you all. And uh, make sure you get respect and uh, that you deserve. But uh, yeah, that was Joe Biden is another pathetic Zoom call with about 12 supporters who act the most ridiculous, easy questions, and he struggles with them. And you saw there, he just lost his train of thought again. And it just blows me away that Donald Trump, and now I think he fully realizes it, and, I, and I'll tell you why, but Joe Biden says nothing. Even when he talks about different things he will do with the virus. Tell me what different things you'll do with the virus. Tell me what different you would handle China. Tell me how different you handle the rest of the world. Except for this guy doesn't know what he's doing and this guy knows this. And what he does is he's not in front of a great group that, or, doesn't, or a small group or a big group. He's in front of nobody. And what they're saying is he's 77 years old. He's the worst candidate. He was probably the fifth best in the entire primary field. And now that his ratings show, excuse me, his poll numbers show a gap between him and the president that looks like he is, feels secure, why put him out there? Well, that might be fine if you're coaching him, if your, your campaign is his. But as Karl Rove brought up, sooner or later he's going to have to speak and defend himself in detail. Let's listen. Cut 34. And it's just amazing to me. Is this the best the guy can do? I mean, I think what has happened in that basement is that he's gotten lazy, mentally lazy. And so he thinks he can get away with this because he goes on places like Joy Reid and he doesn't get challenged. Let him get in front of a real journalist and let's see how well he handles it. What if somebody said, well, wait a minute, all those things have already been done. What I ask you, what differently would you do? You haven't suggested anything different. And let's see how he'd answer that. But I, he's getting away with murder right now. And it's going to be a mistake for him because he can't keep this up for the other 104 days away, left in the Carl. campaign. Uh, he can't. Uh, and what the president's got to do is close the gap. And here's why I think he's on the right track. These coronavirus hearing, these coronavirus hearings at five o'clock, there's his sessions. Uh, he's been pretty crisp and right to the point. 
I would bring Dr. Burks out there too. I'd make him at longest a half hour. I would limit the questions. I'd start answering the questions. I'd say, this is where we're heading, but for details, here's the doctor. This is where I like to go with this, the doctor. This is my biggest surprise right here. Here's the doctor. But they're 100% better than when we left off, which is two hours of a rollicking uh, gotcha series of questions uh, where reporters would get five or six uh, bites of the apple. That's why the president knocked it off. But this is, the, this is the imprint of Kellyanne Conway. She says, show you care. Now, how else do you show you care? Well, the president cares about seniors. He talked about his friend. He lost three friends who died, one in particular, that he called him. He says, I'm not feeling well. They said I tested positive. I'm going to be fine. He called the house the next day. He was uh, in the hospital. Called after that. He was in an induced coma. And the next day he was dead. He said he was a little heavy. But it just struck home how serious this is. And he's saying things like you should be enjoying the twilight years of your life. Instead, you have to deal with this. Shows he cares. He does care. But he never said it because he thought he took it for granted. So Joe Biden does empathy, sympathy well, obviously. He's good at that. He's a professional politician and he obviously has been through a lot in his life. So the president doing this and then providing something like $60 billion in aid for states to help with nursing homes. What is it showing? They need some help, number two. They are suffering the bulk of the deaths, number three. Uh, and, and number four, it shows you care. Seniors. Why? Well, the younger people that get it are surviving, and they're not voting for them anyway. There are many cases of showing an indifference towards the virus, saying, yeah, I'm hanging out on the beach. Yeah, I'm going to the bar and see what I can do. I think you guys might have it. I don't know. I'll get tested if I can. They're going to vote for him. And the anarchists are certainly rising up the temperature. There's no way these protests are not amping up the number of cases. And there's no way any of them are voting for Trump. So that shows me he's doing it. Number two, law and order. What's he doing? He's actually taking action. He's not saying, you know, if these mayors don't get this under control, if they don't find a way to end the unrest, I will. And now he's actually trying. And now what they're doing in a panic move is they are trying to label the presence a militaristic authoritarian. So instead of being Mr. Law and Order, that's what I ran on. They're saying that he's an authoritarian. He wants to be a dictator. Now, notice the language. The language works. The language works for people who aren't into politics like you and I aren't. They're half listening. they got 20 things going on. They're wondering how, how they're dealing with this virus. And they go, yeah, the president's being a dictator. A dictator. Not really. He's actually, if you think about it, in Chicago and Portland and Seattle and in Albuquerque, the stats don't lie. It's out of control. And he's taking action. Okay. Well, whose fault is it? Who's our enemy? China. What are you doing about it? Well, I just gutted the Houston consulate. I just sanctioned individuals stealing our, our property theft. You know, our intellectual property. I'm incentivizing um, um, uh, companies to come home. I'm bringing manufacturing back here. I send two aircraft carriers to South China Sea. Well, what else are you doing on race? Well, um, I'm meeting with a lot of African-American leaders. In fact, this whole act of putting uh, uh, putting troops into these areas, uh, federal agents into these areas, is going to be named after a young boy that lost his life innocently in his living room. Okay. And why do I think the whole race thing is working? The president never a racist. As Senator Tim Scott told me, I told him you're racially insensitive, but I never said he's a racist because he's not. Jennifer Palmieri, as well as Eric Holder, as well as Vice President Biden, making it clear that he's making inroads to the black community by doing saying this, cut 35. Vice President Biden is right. The president very regrettably uses racism and, and fear to 
divide the country. And I think he does. Can you it give me an example of that, of, of how he's the caravan that never the caravan that never uh, materialized that he said would to, I think, to try to motivate people to, to turn out to vote. And there were lots of people that were coming across the border and there so were people the, camped know, out the, south of the border I, for months. Using the Bible at um, to you know in the when he went to the church after tear gas here to suggest that people who protest don't believe in God, I think. Those are some of the stupidest examples I've ever heard. Jennifer Palmieri, you're better than that. Former director of communications for Hillary Clinton, who couldn't communicate. So she is usually good. She's terrible. I mean, those are two terrible examples. There were thousands. There were millions of caravans. We had Griff Jenkins walking with them, watching them stop and get there. And it was part of the reason why the president used all these different resources to help build the wall and and help stop the surge. And we know about that. You know why it's working? Because Democrats aren't talking about it. Number two, that remember I was telling you about the messaging. And what they're trying to do with the messaging is say authoritarian. He's a militaristic. He wants to be an absolute monarch. So listen to... You know, it's amazing that they're all on the same page. Listen to John Heilman. John Heilman using those exact terms. Cut 20. This is what would happen if you were an authoritarian president who was preparing to to, to resist a loss in the election. You would be saying the things Donald Trump is saying, and you would be gradually rolling out federal police power into the states against the, the, the wishes of the mayors and governors in question. This is how it would happen. This is how the movie would play out. And anybody who's not looking at this with a state of alarm and concern and worried about, is this president going to, to, to employ formally martial law at some point, as Ron Wyden suggested yesterday, is that on the president's mind? Is there anybody, having watched Donald Trump for the last three and a half years, who doesn't think that Donald Trump would try to employ martial law if he thought it was the only way he could stay in power. You're absolutely wrong. You have mail-in voting. If there's a Al Gore, George Bush type thing, the president's going to fight. If it's not close, he's not going to fight. And you know he's not going to fight. And you know there's not even a Jim Jordan or Don Jr. that would say, hey, Dad, why don't you stay in office and use federal troops to keep you there? What you have, John Heilman knows this too. You have civil unrest like we've never seen before in Chicago. You've had in Portland 55 straight days of flat-out anarchy where the mayors are hated, yet liberal Democrats in control. We saw the autonomous zones that almost took root here, almost took root in Washington, that uh, that did take root in Seattle. You have Minneapolis, which I don't think the president's going to do anything there, but fifty. But basically the cops have gone away and a homeless shelter has sprung out, and they can't control it. This tent city has taken over Minneapolis, which was once a great city. So what they're trying to do is make it seem as though he is office kilter, going to shelve democracy and refuse to leave. Joe Biden started it. Eric Holder continued it. John Heilman talks about it. Axelrod brings it up. So these they're trying to set us up for something. And I just hope you realize that. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. When we come back, we're going to be joined uh, by Brad Thor. Brad Thor's got a brand new book called Near Dark. His twentieth in the, the Scott Harvard, Harvorth series. What, what I think is uh, really intriguing about his fictional books is what he gets uh, from the real people to set up the authenticity in these stories. We'll have that story and so much more. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We are there to protect a federal courthouse and other federal properties there in Portland. Uh, and we need to do that. Uh, we need to make sure that they are not burned down, as the video showed uh, just a few minutes ago. Uh, but we need local law enforcement to be a partner with us. We see this in every other city across the country. When federal property is targeted, we have local law enforcement partnering with federal law enforcement to address that to investigate and to arrest individuals. That type of assistance is not there in Portland. And that is uh, Chad Wolf, acting Secretary of Homeland Security, relatively new position. And he's talking about the need for a federal presence because no one is protecting federal property. And now they realize this city is totally out of control. But without a local partnership, because cops are prevented too from a liberal uh, Democratic governor, a mayor, uh, they're in a bit of a problem in Portland. But people say, well, it's unprecedented American history for our troops to be out there. Really? Tell that to Eisenhower. Tell that to George Bush 41. With me right now, a guy that uh, did not know Eisenhower, but no Bush 41, Brad Thor, number one New York Times bestselling author. Uh, his brand new book, Near Dark, is now out. His 20th in the Scott Harvath series. Brad, welcome back. It's great to be back, Brian. Thank you for having me. Hey, Brad, in your extensive research, as you try to write these storylines, you try to make them real. Did you ever think you'd see a situation where a local government rejects the help of the federal government, even though there's clearly unrest and they need help? (laughs) Well, there's a couple of different things here. And as, as is typical in these stories, there's a lot getting lost, right? So the feds have every right to protect their property. That's great. And they should be there. And if these idiots want to try to firebomb courthouses and stuff like that, then they're going to get met with a federal response. And that's actually very good. I was watching my old friend Chuck Ramsey, uh, I believe, on Fox the other night. uh, And he was police chief in Philadelphia. Chuck's a great guy. And he said, you know what? As police chief, we have these task forces in our cities and we have federal help and they help us solve crimes. And I'm glad to have them come in and work with the police. So there is a distinction here. You can't have the federal forces going through the streets of Chicago trying to do things that don't involve federal property. Protecting federal property is fine. But the state has so cities and municipalities have the police forces and the state has the National Guard. So if the states activate their National Guard because it's gotten that bad and you need further help from the federal government, that's an extension that the governor can go to. The, I don't see that what Trump is doing or suggesting he's going to do in Chicago or Philadelphia is put federal troops in the streets. It's put them at federal properties or help with existing task forces. So I think a lot of it's being blown out of proportion. So uh, I know that guys like you think about what if a pandemic hits? What if a nuclear bomb hits? We're getting it all. Uh, we got a pandemic. We have civil unrest. We have a war on history all at once. Brad, if you wrap that into a novel, I'd say, can you make it more realistic like your others? 
Yeah, well, I'll tell you, first of all, this is what happens. This is how it gets worse. We have Chinese and Russian propaganda that is highly influential on Facebook, where way too many Americans get their news. That is not the place for responsible citizens to be getting their news, because oftentimes you're siloing yourself in places on Facebook where you feel comfortable and your preconceived ideas are being reinforced. You need multiple sources of news. Don't trust emails that are being forwarded to you by your friends. Get to the facts. Get to the truth. Think for yourself. The other big thing that nobody's talking about now, Brian, except people at FEMA and other places is uh, what we're calling the Corona cane. If we get a hurricane now that hits the Gulf, hits Florida, we are in big, big trouble because after you exhaust the National Guard efforts to help uh, rescue people and get people back on their feet, you ask the Red Cross to come in and the majority of Red Cross volunteers that would go into an area hit by a hurricane are 64 plus, very, very susceptible to the coronavirus. So this is the big thing that people who are doing planning now are worried about. And we all need to pray that we are spared from any hurricanes now for the end of the season. Uh, Brad Thor, you have your new book out in the series is near dark. Where do you take us? Well, so if so, my job is to give you some escape to not do what we just did, Brian, which is worry you about everything that's coming. Yeah. yeah. So if it was, yeah, near dark, if it was a movie and I had a poster, the tagline would be a hundred million dollar bounty has just been placed on the head of America's top spy. It's a great espionage around the world, great cat and mouse chase, a lot of fun, different than any other thriller I've ever done before. And I'm kind of glad that this is the theme for this book, particularly right now at this time, because it's hard for all of us to disengage from COVID. But if you've got a great story that sweeps you up, it makes it a little bit easier. And I'm already hearing from my readers they're like this is the best one ever thank you i needed this right now so from the back alleys of vietnam to the beaches of the key west yeah, and all the way over to uh, to Normandy in France, Mont Saint Michel. Uh, it, it's just a really cool, sweeping spy tale. A lot of fun. Uh, great Norwegian, beautiful Norwegian spy teams up with my American spy, and they unravel this bounty together. A lot of fun. Great for men and women. You got a lot of traction out of the Cold War. Are we about to get a Cold War with China from the people you talk to at the CIA, FBI, and Homeland? Yeah, absolutely. The problem is is that economic sanctions can only go so far with the communist Chinese. They are so entangled around the world with our allies, it's going to be very difficult for us to ask uh, partners around the world to kind of pull back from their interactions with China. And we as Americans are addicted to cheap stuff that come out of that country. We really need a moonshot kind of uh, mission here in the United States to be able to get our drug production back, bring, you know, we like cheap stuff, but on the other hand, we complain that we've lost so many jobs in this country. Well, we need to find a healthy balance. And like I said, moonshot, we need to make a plan to be the economic powerhouse for the next hundred years in this country. Because believe me, the Chinese are thinking 500 years ahead. They are a big problem. They are not our friends. And because they crush liberty, they crush innovation in their country. So the only thing the Chinese are good at is stealing from us and our allies. And now they don't even have the enclave of Hong Kong. Uh, That was an economic engine. 
that was an economic engine. And President Trump was absolutely right to revoke that status, that that different status that we gave to Hong Kong, because now it's basically a part of mainland China. And they do deserve to get that revoked. And I have to tell you, closing the consulate in Houston, great deal, a great idea. And I hope now that they have the whole consulate in San Francisco absolutely surrounded so that Chinese spy that lied to get into America to work in different American research firms, I hope they nail her. I hope the Chinese are not able to smuggle her out of the country because she lied to get her visa. She came here to steal. The Chinese are thieves, and we need to shut that down. See, he's in fiction and nonfiction. He thrives in both. Brad Thor, congratulations on Near Dark. Everyone, go pick it up. You need a break. You need a good book. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, my friend. You got it. Uh, This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. No reason to leave. Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. All right, coming to you from New York and heard around the country, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Coming up this hour, it's going to be a great hour. Number one, you're going to be there, one 866 We're also going to have uh, with us the great Chris Wallace uh, as he scrambles to the phone. I know he's nervous. And Randy Levine, president of the New York Yankees. You know why? Because we talked for the longest time about how baseball is going to get back today. It's going to be official. The Yankees, 3-1 to favorites to be World Series champions in this, uh, uh, this 60-game season. Uh, are taking on the reigning World Series champions. Uh, that team called, uh, you know, that that team that they call themselves the Washington, they used to be the Washington Senators. Now Washington will be looked to defend themselves. And I don't believe that this is a game that you could say to yourself, well, it's just opening day, it's nice to win. There is not a game in 60 games that you can give up. Literally, if you lose four games in a row, it's like losing almost 20. So I think they got to get off to a good start. So um, Nationals, Yankees today. We'll talk to Randy Levine about that. Some hurdles have to be cleared. Now, here's a good thing. MLS kept in a bubble, no positive tests. Kept in the bubble of Orlando. In the NBA, once they get tested and get everyone checked in, if the bubble's secure, and I'm sure it will be, so much money at stake. Uh, they had a scrimmage last night. Uh, it's supposed to start at the end of the month. I think that'll work. Baseball's different. They're going to travel, right? They've got to leave their stadiums. Yankees are in Washington. Uh, Nationals are hosting them. Then they're going to come back, and they're going to go moving around the country. Toronto still doesn't have a home. Canada does not want them to play there. So there's a lot going on. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's been this long challenge of the Chinese Communist Party stealing intellectual property. We actually talked about this. It's not just American intellectual property, but stolen. It's been European intellectual property, too. Stolen by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, That is Mike Pompeo. And he's going to be speaking at the Nixon Library today. China, the Trump administration going where no administration really has gone before and is uniting the world against China and turning up the heat inside our own country. Are we ready for the backlash? Is, Is it time for a new Cold War? Number two. The children in your family, your son, your grandchildren, are you comfortable? Do you plan to have them back in person, in school? Yeah, well, I am comfortable with that. 
And we do have a national strategy, but as you know, ultimately it's up to the governors of the states. Uh, that is spreads the United States coronavirus. We're surging towards a vaccine while cases rise and testing rushes to meet the demand. The question, would you send your kid back to school? If you're a teacher, are you comfortable heading back to the classroom? The president sure is. And I would, too. And I am. Number one. That's not democracy that we saw unfolding on the streets of Portland as a result of this federal oh. action. That's what we call tyranny and dictatorship. And we are not having it. In Chicago. Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Trump takes it to the streets in two more cities, uh, Albuquerque and Chicago, despite the pushback from Democratic mayors and Hyden Biden. The president is determined to bring chaos to a close and the killing to an end. I'll tell you where the political and criminal battle stands today in Portland, Chicago, New York and more. But first. And now it's time to clear the airwaves for the Emmy-nominated host of Fox News Sunday, fresh off his exclusive interview with President Trump. It's our privilege to bring in the President of the United States from the White House. Mr. President, how are you today? Hi, Brian. The most selfless Sunday morning anchor on television. So you did the interview with the president yesterday, and I'm going to put it bluntly, I'm jealous. Always gracious. Mr. President, thanks so much for joining us from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Well, thank you very much, and congratulations on 10 years on radio. Wow. I don't want anyone to think I'm the least bit bitter that he talks to you for 23 minutes, and I haven't talked to him since uh, last November. Asking the tough, thought-provoking questions. Did my name come up or did Fox News Sunday, did that ever come up? You know, now that you mention it, he did say something about wanting to be on. I just want to say, Mr. President, if you're still watching, you're still listening, you can come on anytime. I'll come to you. Please come on the show. We'll have our people call his people. My source is closest to the president, you. (laughs) You gotta be nice to me. President Trump, you've agreed to answer all manner of questions. No subject off limits. Thank you. And welcome back to Fox News Sunday. Thank you very much. Chris Wallace. So you succeeded in making this all about you. It's quite remarkable, actually. <laughs> I mean, why didn't you say thanks for exceeding, to, uh, thanks for listening to Brian Kilmeade and coming on with me? Well, I, you don't know what I said off camera, but uh, yes, I, uh, <laughs> I did not say that on, on camera. So, uh, I, and I love that. That's a new open. It's the first new open you've done since uh, COVID. You brought a grand piano in there. That was really quite, quite great. It was great. Uh, the interview was a rollicking interview. By the way, that's not true. Eric has done other ones. We know that for sure. But okay. that was the most detailed. So, out of all the, how many presidents have you interviewed? I think six or seven. Okay. Was that the most unique interview you've ever had with a president? Well, I would say yes, of course, except do you remember my interview with Bill Clinton when he was a former president in 2006 and he yeah. chewed me out for about 20 minutes? <laughs> that was pretty unique, too. But, I mean, number one, he chose outside in a hundred, it literally was 100 degrees and he's in a suit. Yeah, that, that I, we were literally going to do the interview in the nice air-conditioned uh, re- diplomatic reception room with the murals down on the, fr- on the ground floor uh, you know, couldn't be nicer, couldn't be more special. And we arrived there at 6.45 on Friday morning to hear, uh, no, he wants to do it outside. And I said to the press wrangler who was dealing with us from the White House, do you know how hot it is? And they said, I know. And they were kind of rolling their eyes, too. And I said, could we, like, revisit this? And no, we were good anyway. 
So it, and then, of course, you know, because you have to be there and completely set up and waiting. And then the president has a lot of wonderful qualities, but punctuality is not one of them. Um, we were out there 40, 45 minutes before he showed up. Wow. So you must, you must have been a bowl of fun uh, waiting, I can imagine. Uh, but first off, how, what led to the yes? Was it, am I going to make my call this week and ask the president, or did he reach out to you? Um, he kind of reached out to us about a month and a half ago. I, they got very good numbers, I guess, in early June or mid-June. No, it was early June for the, for the May uh, jobs numbers, and they were surprisingly good. And I went on the air, and, and you know, I know a lot of your listeners think I'm a Trump hater. I'm not. I try to call it the way I see it, and I was very complimentary about the numbers because the numbers were great. Everybody thought we were going to go up to 20 percent unemployment. Remember, they'd been 14 percent in for April and we went down to 13. And I think there were two and a half million jobs created, whatever. And I said on the air, this is, you know, real testament to the president's political and economic resilience. So he calls up after and says, you must really want an interview. I said, no, Mr. President, I'm just calling it the way I say it. And that kind of started it going. Interesting. Uh, because, and then you, you, you brought up something. I think I deserve full credit for this. So I want to visit this portion of the show. And I, I was hoping you were going to do this because uh, I know he doesn't back off when you're in your, even when you're there, if he's critical of you, if he doesn't like some of your questions, he'll tell you to your face and he'll tweet about you when you're on the air. You know, we know that. And I pointed this out to you about James Comey and sure enough, you went there. Cut 43. I know you very well. I respect you a lot. I respect your father a lot. I thought he was one of the most talented journalists there are. And you likewise are a very talented person. I do think this. I think you are very, uh, I think you are toward the Democrat side, which is okay. I mean, it, it's okay. It's not true. Watch the James Comey interview I did in December. 17 significant errors in the FISA process. And you say that it was handled in a thoughtful and appropriate way. Yeah, he's right. I was wrong. But you make it sound like you're a, a bystander, an eyewitness. You were the director of the FBI while a lot of this was going on, sir. Sure. I'm responsible for that. That's why I'm telling you I was wrong. I was overconfident as director in our procedures. You couldn't do as tough an interview with Comey. I'd like to think I treat everybody the same. It just seems to me that you are very prone to be nice to the Democrats, and maybe I'm wrong about that, Chris. I, I love that you went directly at it. And I want to know, in honesty, did you remember me bringing that up to you to defend yourself because I thought the Comey interview was phenomenal, and I brought that up as an example? Did I play a role in that? <laughs> Again, this is all about you. This is unbelievable. You know, I'm not sure you'd have had this radio show for 10 years if it weren't for <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, but that, uh, don't take that as an insult. I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning, so... I did not remember that, but it is, you know, I'm very proud of that interview. And that's one I use to say, hey, I'm not playing favorites. I I treat everybody the same. And I promise you, all you all you listening doubters out there, if I get Joe Biden, I will be just as I'm not going to say tough because I don't know that I was tough on the president. I'll be just as straightforward, just as probing about Biden you know, that's that's the I think that's the only way to do it. Just just ask the questions. Chris, I hate to tell you, Biden's not sitting down with you. There's no way. And, and the president right, you brought bet? that up. You wanna, do you want to bet? Yes. All right. What, what do we say? How much? Um, 
I will have to promo your book once an hour. Uh, for a week. <laughs> I'll give you one shot. I'll, pro- I'll mention your book one- without you there. What? I will mention your book. All right. And then I'll mention whatever, whatever bestseller you've got once on my air. No, no. I, I will be the power it. player. No. And, and, is, wait a minute. You're going to mention my book once on the radio <laughs> and I have to give you three minutes of air time? Well, I understand you get bigger ratings than I do, but still, I don't think that's really a fair, a fair deal. We'll hatch it out, uh, but believe we'll, me, believe me, I know I'm going to win. We'll see. Because we'll his, see. Yeah, listen, if I was up by as many points as he was up by, I would keep him away, knowing that he's not a 50-year-old, you know, he's not 42-year-old JFK welcoming in all interviewers. I mean, I was, one thing I'd have to say about this before we get into detail, did you sit down and ask yourself, we've been going for close to an hour with the President of the United States, and he's taking on the most controversial issues, period, and he's really not punting on any questions. Did that, did that strike you at all? Absolutely. Let me tell you. So, so you know, I'm sure everybody who saw the interview, they remember the part right at the beginning where we, I say we got the seventh worst mortality rate, and he goes back and says, no, we got the best, and he, Kaylee, come on, bring it out. And... Uh, we, you know, we cut it down because it wasn't particularly interesting. We must have gone back and forth on this for for five minutes. I, by the end of the first segment, I was so exhausted, and I was, uh, and I thought, I, and I've got, you know, I've got forty five more minutes to do here. And he hung in there. And uh, I, I, let me just say this, and I, I, I was very grateful to the president for doing the interview. Why on earth he decided that particular day he wanted to do it on his patio? I don't know. It was so hot. Incidentally, I have covered the White House, you know, since 1982. It was literally a part of the White House. Have you ever seen this back patio no. and, and a swimming pool? He's got a big swimming pool and a, like a bath, you know, a, a cabana or something. It's really it's pretty nice. Yeah, and it's I've amazing, too, because I was surprised he did that because he's always into the lighting and his look. I remember interviewing him in Philadelphia, and we went to a locker room, and he was looking at the lighting, and he says, I'm sorry, we got to adjust this. Can you bring this down? And we were literally going, d- 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 dropping the lights to get it better in a beat-up locker room in an abandoned school and because he was concerned about the look. So I was surprised oh, about absolutely. that. Absolutely. He always wants to see the monitor. You know, look, he he knows more about TV than you yeah. and I do, and he knows more about lighting. And and think about this. He's been Donald Trump a long time. And what I mean Donald Trump, I obviously he's been Donald Trump 74 years. He's been Donald Trump, the media star, since for 40 years, 35 years. So he, he knows this game pretty well. So in the end, what did you walk away with? What did you thought was going to be news? I know you had the clips out earlier where you were right on one. The mortality was a draw or or he was right, it seems as though, with the numbers he had. But you show both screens. Having said that, what did you walk away with? What did you learn at the end of it? And you thought, wow, I'm surprised by that answer. I, I was what I was basically surprised at is that he didn't seem to have more of a plan of what he wanted to do in that interview and and that he didn't seem to have more of a handle because, you know, the, the, the coronavirus uh, is, is not embers anymore. And he would seem annoyed and, and a little frustrated when I put out the, the, the chart that showed the curve of cases has gone up. And he was sort of diminishing it, saying, oh, it's cases, it's cases. Uh, and, and what's so interesting to me is he didn't do it in our interview on Friday, but on Monday 
he completely changed his tone on this. He started tweeting out that masks and it's the patriotic thing to do. And he's done the coronavirus briefings and he seems to be taking it much more. You know, I'm not going to give you happy talk. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, I, I, you know, I think he should have done that earlier. And I, right. you know, uh, and he didn't do that in our interview. And if I played a role, you know, maybe I saved some lives, Brian. I, you know, maybe, maybe you did. <laughs> I found it. I found it so interesting uh, because it was real. Like that was that was none of that program banter where you know exactly where he's going with it. I felt like there was a as real conversation as you could have with the president. And I, I thought you did a great job. Uh, and I and I think both sides got something out of it. I thought he was very conversant in almost everything you brought up, even if if his answer wasn't politically correct. He knew what was going on, you know. So oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, and he certainly, you know. And there were parts with there when he's talking about the cities and and the violence in the cities, or when he's talking about Biden and his mental competence. You know, we let it just roll, and you can see what he what he thought. They he seemed. Uh, and I guess that clip you played at the very beginning, he seemed reasonably happy with the interview. So. Yeah, I think so, too. Listen, 20 seconds. Uh, who's who's coming up next? Who's coming up Sunday? Do you know? <laughs> well, that's the, that's the dirty little secret, as you well know, of this business. I don't have a clue who we're going to have on. I mean, we're struggling to get mayors and governors from some of these cities that they are sending troops into and get administration officials. You you know, you, you, you bask in the glory of one of these big interviews for about three days, and then it's like, or in your case, probably because you're on every day for about two, three hours, and then you got to book the next show. It's unbelievable, Chris. I can't believe this happened to you. Uh, Chris Fox, <laughs> watch Fox News Sunday. They'll have big guests because there's big news. Chris, thanks so much. Congratulations. Thank you, my friend. All right. 1-866-408-7669. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I, hey, let's go to Brian. Listen on KDWN in Nevada. Hey, Brian. Hey, 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 Brian, how are you? Good morning to you. Hey, what's on your mind? Uh, what's on your mind is a better question, I suppose. You know, it's it's fascinating, actually. I just listened to your interview with Chris Wallace, who I absolutely admire. I really like, I don't know, I think he's willing to burn the boats and move on, you know? And I guess that's what's going on for me right now. Listen, so who's going to win the bet? Is Joe Biden, Is Joe? who's going to win the bet? Is Joe Biden going to sit down with Chris Wallace? I hope so. I think it would be great. I absolutely hope so. And I think it would be great because he's got to defend a lot. Thanks so much for the call. The $800 billion stimulus package, the fact that there was no shovel-ready jobs, uh, where there's so many things that he was in charge of, either that or he's going to say it wasn't my deal, it was Barack Obama's deal. Uh, that was his presidency, not my presidency, but either he was one of impact or not. There's so much to defend there. I would love to know, for example, for eight years, have the stats and how many people have been shot and murdered in Chicago. Why didn't you crack down at all then? What would you have done with the civil unrest taking place in Portland? I know you say you don't want to defund the police, but what do you mean by redirecting funds from the police? And what is is it okay with you, the civil unrest taking place in Portland? Is it okay to give up a police precinct in Minneapolis and Seattle? Uh, is it okay that almost what almost happened in New York? Tell me exactly what you would have done with the coronavirus. I mean, I'd like to hear something interesting come out of him, not red. But to his credit, he doesn't have to yet. 
With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Just ready to go. You know, I'm still thinking a lot about how last year ended. Uh, it's still stuck with me and um, still, you know, motivation for me to make sure that doesn't happen again. So, but I, I think the boys are ready and we're ready to get rolling. Uh, and there you go. That was Aaron Judge. You don't hear him talk much. You uh, you see him play a lot. He's one of the high-profile guys in all of Major League Baseball. And they're back in action tonight as the Yankees uh, visit the Nationals in Washington. Uh, joining us now, the president of New York Yankees worked hard behind the scenes to make sure we did have some semblance of a baseball season. Randy Levine, welcome back. How relieved are you when the first pitch goes tonight? Hey, Brian, I remember I was on with you way back in March when nobody thought this can happen. So I am so excited. I think the country is excited. Uh, We are, uh, this was a lot of work. I mean, it's a great tribute, most important to our players. Uh, They showed up. uh, They followed these protocols. They've shown unbelievable grace and heart. Uh, All of the teams and the organizations and the commissioner's office worked hard. I think we're a model for how you bring people back to work. Uh, This is a very serious uh, situation, but we've done the best we can. And uh, now we're going to play ball and let's hope we can, uh, you know, it's been a lot of tough times here in this country and baseball's always taken the lead to give a little relief. You know, it doesn't matter what your political persuasion is. It doesn't matter uh, what you feel about, uh, 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 different social issues we all have lived through uh, times. We, we're appreciative of uh, being enlightened and uh, and about social justice. And it's just a, a great way now to have fun and play baseball. That's what we're looking forward to. Yeah, I know, finally. And tonight is going to be uh, Garrett Cole against this guy named Max Scherzer. I'd pay a lot of money to get in, but I can't. There's going to be no fans. Uh, is every team doing this cutout thing? Uh, not every team is. You uh, are. I think some team. Uh, we're not doing cutouts, not? at least right now. Uh, and I think uh, a lot of people are thinking about virtual fans. I mean, it's it's there's a lot of experimentation going on, a lot of fun. So I think that uh, uh, you're going to see some very creative stuff that happens over the next uh, 66 days during so you, the season. You know what I find interesting about the MLS and some of the NBA when I watched the scrimmages last night? They have big walls of advertising around it, so you're not seeing an empty seats. I remember when... Uh, Leagues aren't that successful in big stadiums. They'll cover them with tarps, and they'll sell space on the tarps. Have you guys thought about that? Yeah, that's going to happen. That's going to happen, as well as there'll be some virtual signage. Uh, So, yes, uh, uh, all of that will happen, and I think that uh, uh, it's going to be a good look. I really do. There's no replacement for fans. We, The Yankees, we have the greatest fans of all time. They're, They're great, I believe. You know, if the virus especially in New York, stays uh, uh, low and dormant. Uh, maybe by the uh, in a month or so, uh, we can start exploring fans. Uh, I'm, I'm not ruling that out, you know, as long as there's social distancing and we take all of the proper precautions. Well, the problem is if you guys are doing very well, it's going to be hard to be distancing. The people that need the social distancing, whether it's no problem, it's teams that don't draw well. Uh, so have, is there a plan in place for... 
Uh, is there a virus number, positive case number, and is there a number of people or is there a percentage of stadium uh, that Major League Baseball has told you you can use if things are going well? Uh, baseball's working on it. We're working on it. Obviously, the idea would be you start slow, maybe 25, 30 percent. You know, Yankee Stadium is big enough. It's an outdoor arena. It's large enough that you could social distance on all sides. You know, you require everybody to wear masks. You take the temperatures. There's a whole bunch of protocols that could be done because obviously you want to keep people safe. That's the most important thing. But uh, we just have to watch the virus. Randy, here's, I know you're the business side of things. So is it true, roughly, that when you play without fans, the owners lose money? No question. I mean, you know, we we are by far the uh, the highest revenue team in, in the game, and we're losing a ton, a ton of money. I mean, you know, record number of money, as are, as are all teams, because really, uh, you know, television revenue is important, but it's far from the uh, the majority of, of of our revenues. Yeah, unlike football. And, and the other thing, Randy, I think is important for people to realize, you would have made more money if you guys did not play in this. Now, of course, the best situation, no virus. But once there is a virus that's going to stop people from coming, uh, if you're just a businessman or woman, you don't play. Well, I think we, you know, that was really never uh, a consideration because baseball is so important to everybody, uh, and we were going to play. Even, you know, tribute to Hal Steinbrenner and all of our owners. You know, they 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 get the responsibility, the social responsibility. Baseball's always been at the forefront. That, you know, you have to play. It's so important uh, to people, and uh, I, I just hope people, you know, sit back now. This is phenomenal that we, we we can start hopefully we can i'm confident we can finish uh i've had a lot of people have a lot of comments you know why it's so hard why it's impossible why we you know why we uh shouldn't play uh why it's hard to play uh we're there and i as i said you know baseball is is for everybody, and it's time for people to just enjoy themselves, take a breath, relax, watch a game, escape for a little bit, and uh, we got the greatest players in the world. They've done phenomenal, and we're just excited uh, to get going. We think we have a great team this year, a championship team, and we're really excited to get going. Yeah, here's Aaron Boone on that, your manager, Cut 38. It's a hungry group. Uh, I felt that way a year ago. I continue to see signs of it. I've seen that throughout this year already uh, in spring training and now summer camp signs that mentally this team is where, where they need to be heading into the regular season. Three to one favorites to, to be World Series champions, but in a 60 game season, a five game winning streak could be your death. Can you give us an idea how this plays out? I know one change. Everybody's got a DH, American League and National League. Number two, when it comes to extra innings, you're going to put a man on second base? Yes, those are some of the new rule changes. Um, the universal DH and in extra innings, a man starts at second base. And you know, all of these are, are being done. Uh, you know, they had been being looked at because of uh, pace of game considerations. But now, you know, because of the virus, uh, the length of games is has got a different connotation. So we're going to try them all. And, you know, this is new territory. You know, baseball's a marathon, always has been, you know, built for a long, long time. This is going to be a different season. This is, you know, 60-game sprint. And anything can happen. Anything. You know, you got to keep your players healthy. I think depth is going to be really, really important. So anything can happen. 
That is true. And Randy, when you talk about this league starting, they're going to go from city to city. There's no bubble. So when they go from city nope, to city, no is if there's things happening like that stun us, like what happened in Florida and Texas and Arizona and Georgia, where the numbers were fine and then they went up. And if those numbers start going up, is there a certain threshold where you say, ah, it's too, you know, I'm losing too many players, I'm going to call it a season. You know, we know two MLS teams, just Nashville, uh, said, I'm not coming. Uh, we, have two, we have 11 guys test positive. Do you, do you have that built into the system? I, I, I think that our protocols are incredible. I mean, if you read the protocols, they basically, and they've all been blessed by the leading health uh, doctors and health of public health officials uh, in the country. Uh, they spare the littlest details are covered. They spare nothing. Uh, and we feel, you know, we're going to be okay. I mean, this is this virus is very unpredictable. The public safety and the health of our players and staff and is the most important thing. But you know, we're testing uh, all of our players. It's been you know three weeks since uh, summer camp, and it's way under one percent. So you know, we've been very fortunate. It took a lot of time to get into these protocols. Our players have been fantastic, and our staff and administering it and participating. So again, I'm. I think that you know we're gonna we're gonna do it, and uh, there's no reason to think that uh, that it won't happen. Uh, obviously, it's a very dangerous virus. Uh, obviously, it's unpredictable. Uh, so we're just gonna do the best we can. There are right. no guarantees, but so far, so good. And here's what Brian Cashman said uh, about what to expect in terms of what the country's going through. He just said this. You know, the great part of America is there's different ways to express yourself and different platforms to utilize how you express yourself. And in some cases, it happens to be, you know, kneeling, you know, during the anthem. Uh, Obviously, Colin Kaepernick started that process back four or five years ago. And now uh, you're seeing it coming to Major League Baseball in a more prominent way, especially after, you know, uh, where, where our country is coming from in the most recent month. You know, any of our personnel, and so I'm supportive of our people as Americans to, to support themselves in, in a way as long as they're making those decisions in a very informed way. And there's a lot of different platforms that do it. And they, they met, I heard the state of the players met last night. And one thing I understand it's happening, it's bringing teams together. Yeah, I think uh, you're going to see something special tonight. Don't want to, do not want to give it away. Uh, but there has been a, um, uh, uh, a great dialogue uh, between uh, some uh, great uh, former and present uh, African-American players and uh, the commissioner's office, uh, you know, C.C. Sabathia, our great player who works with us, is part of that. Uh, there's been tremendous input by, uh, by a lot of people, including uh, a lot of our players and ex-players. And I think they've come up with something tonight that's going to be very, very special, that uh, is going to be very moving. And uh, I don't want to give it away. So uh, don't. We'll just everybody hopefully will watch tonight. And lastly, I know you've known Donald Trump since the 80s. Um, is that the same guy we're watching in the White House? Well, you know, I, I, I've known the president a long time. He's doing uh, the best he can. I think he's doing a good job. And, uh, you know, I wish him well. As I said, we're focusing on, on baseball. And I think the great part of baseball, you know, it always has taken the lead of bringing everybody together. So that's what I'm saying. Whether you're 
Republican to Democrat, a conservative, a progressive, whether you're for the president or against the president, let's step back a little, take a breath, and all let's just enjoy baseball because that's the American pastime and something we can all rally around and enjoy together. And I'm so jealous of Anthony Fauci. He gets to throw the first pitch, but regardless, he's not going to get booed if he bounces it. There's going to be nobody there. (laughs) That's right. No pressure, but I got to tell you, you know, I've seen a lot of first pitches. People warm up, Brian. You know, even with no fans, you know, when you have hundreds of millions of people watching on uh, television all over the world, I think the doctor's feeling a little pressure right now. And Randy, you know the Bronx better than I do, but I've been there a number of times growing up in New York. They're going to line up around the stadium. And if that happens, I mean, you're going to have – because they're just going to want to hear it when they come. I I think a lot of these fans are just going to go, I'm getting close. If you're not going to let me in, I'm going to go see if I can, you know, maybe listen, put my my AirPods in and stand outside the stadium. Will anything stop you from, from going to the stadium, standing outside? I don't, you know, all I can say for all our fans, we have the greatest fans in the world. The most important thing is for you to be safe. That's it. So we want you to be safe. We want you to, you know, respect social distancing, wear masks, because we want you to be healthy. That's the most important thing. So I don't know. That's that's really more the the, the New York City uh, <laughs> uh, PD's job. But we have the best fans. All we wish for them is to be really healthy. All right. Uh, uh, Cole gets a start against Scherzer. It's going to be real baseball at 7.08 uh, Eastern time, uh, weather permitting. If the game does not work, they will play on Friday. And uh, Randy Levine, I know for sure, will be watching. He's president of the New York Yankees, the team favorite. I know it's a favorite uh, – the favorites mean very little, but in this, in this sprint, uh, I think talent could mean a lot more. Uh, fav- they are the favorites to win the World Series. Randy, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. All Always right. great to be with you. Uh, same Bye. here. And our audience, uh, Randy has kept us uh, in the loop. Uh, he has so much experience, so much business acumen. He was able to, uh, so much respect with the players. He was able to do a lot, and he'll never admit it, to make sure this season actually happened. Well, we're going to come back with your phone calls. It's so good to talk about something positive. one 408 7669. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Uh, it was really nice for Randall Levine to join us and keep us updated throughout the entire process. Tom, you listen to 94.3, uh, the talker in Pennsylvania. Hey, Tom. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, yeah. uh, I love your show, man. Um, I'm just, I, I don't think I'll be watching baseball. I mean, when I watched the guys kneeling the other night during the anthem, it's just kind of like a slap in the face to me. I mean... You kind of softballed it to Randy there, and he kind of didn't really answer it. He just, it's nice to all come together, but I just don't feel the anthem is a place to do, to be kneeling in, in any sport. It's, I, it's, I it's never, I never I will. Be watching. And if it I ever, hope if they but all But Tom, do. Tom, what if you do, what if you did this? 
if they do the one thing the one time, the MLS does one thing the one time to show you know some ra- racial uh, things we got to work on in this country, which we all know there are things that could bring the country together and level the playing field more. We always know there's some stuff we could do. There's positive conversations to be had. But if it becomes overwhelming in every day, like the NBA was making statements yesterday, we're going to be talking about racial justice, not the game. Some of the players were saying, I'm like, that's you're forcing fans to go away. But what if it's the first, just the first couple of nights? If it's the first couple of nights and they do like a really nice ceremony yeah. and they bring attention and awareness to the problems in our society, I understand that. And, and I get where they're coming from. But I just, I won't be able to stand it tuning in every night and seeing guys kneel down for the anthem. I mean, even if I was, I was in, a, in the stands, I mean, I'm a diehard Mets fan. I love going. I want to be there. It's like, it just, it, it because I, I love to watch my Mets and just like I don't want to see guys kneeling during the anthem. I don't want to be in the stadium. Yeah, stadium, I mean you know? the, just, it breaks almost fifty fifty with the country too. I mean, for me, you're spray painting George Washington's hands, you kneeling during the anthem. It's the same thing. Uh, I, you know, it's anti-American when it's totally unnecessary, especially when you have a national audience after or before the game who will talk to you at any point about things that are deeper than the final score. But there's a lot of pressure on the players to do things. If you just take a deep breath. And just give it a couple of games. I'll be the first one to say this is too much. It's overwhelming the game. I've had it. And they will sense it too. So I just think that it might be fun to watch and just get past the beginning. They evidently put together something pretty cool. I think they did it last night according to reports. So I just want to I want to let it breathe for a while. But I appreciate where you're coming from. Robert was on WNIS in Newport News, Virginia. Robert. Hi there. First, I want to say that Randy should have ended his uh, interview with you with the James Earl Jones uh, speech and um, and Field and Dreams. That would have ended been the perfect ending, but that's not why I called. Um, you know the speech I'm talking about? No, I can't think of where it. Where right baseball? Uh, where he says baseball has been um, Amer- America's game. And anyway, watch the watch the clip of James Earl Jones on Field of Dreams. It's a great tribute to baseball. I'm, I'm bringing it back tomorrow. Uh, now, what do you think of Wallace with Trump? All right. First of all, that was the best example I've seen of real journalism we've seen in a long time. It puts to rest any question by anyone of fair and balance in the Fox News division. It was excellent. Um, and what I would suggest, you know how athletes, when they retire, they open up restaurants? I think Chris Wallace, maybe he shouldn't retire, but I'm telling you. Do you think he'll he do just a hard the, interview with uh, Joe Biden? I do. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. He's fearless. He's fearless. Him, Brittany, and both. But Chris Wallace, definitely. I think Chris Wallace should open up a journalism school, the Chris Wallace School of Journalism. I don't know if he should attach it to a university, but I'm telling you, he could have a curriculum that would teach real journalism to the young people who have no idea what real journalism Robert, is. thanks so much. I'm going to play that back for him next week. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined by Howard Saber, former New York City Police Commissioner. Uh, he knows what it takes to bring the, the chaos uh, to heal. 
and he knows that the president's doing the right thing. we got to get details on how he would do it. Anthony Munoz may be one of the finest football players, not only of his generation's ever finest offensive lineman. He's going to be joining us, too, with a great message uh, that is victory beyond competition. It's a real good message, as we said, to ramp up youth sports again, college sports again, I hope, although... My daughter's season was just canceled, as is Moats uh, College Soccer, and I think college football is next. And then the ad, we wait for the NFL year. So he's going to give us an example of what he thinks about the NFL camps opening up, what's happening with sports, and how to keep it all in perspective. And Laura Logan's getting ready to join us, and it looks like we're going to be talking to her about something that she, she predicted, and I confer. Uh, and I totally thought she was right then, and I know she's right now. That when General McChrystal... When they announced that General McChrystal's methods of unwinding al-Qaeda in Iraq and insurgencies, the whole surge, is being used for politics to upend Trump, we're seeing it play out now, and I'll show you exactly how. She's going to be joining us shortly. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's been this long challenge of the Chinese Communist Party stealing intellectual property. We actually talked about this. It's not just American intellectual property, but stolen. It's been European intellectual property, too. Stolen by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, that is Mike Pompeo, full bore. China, the Trump administration is going where no administration has gone before and is uniting the world against China and turning up the heat inside our own country. They told him to gut and get out of Houston's consulate. Are we ready for the backlash? And is it time for a new Cold War? Number two. The children in your family, your son, your grandchildren, are you comfortable? Do you plan to have them back in person, in school? Yeah, well, I am comfortable with that. And we do have a national strategy. But as you know, ultimately, it's up to the governors of the states. Uh, There you go. The president talked about the coronavirus. We are surging towards a vaccine while cases rise. Testing, uh, the testing demand has to rise to meet the challenge. So far, it has not but it's not been totally flattened its back either. Question, would you send your kid back to school? If you're a teacher, would you be comfortable in the classroom? The president says yes and yes, as do I. Number one. That's not democracy that we saw unfolding on the streets of Portland as a result of this federal action. That's what we call tyranny and dictatorship. And we are not having it in Chicago. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who gets a haircut during the pandemic. You remember her. Trump takes it to the streets, two more cities, despite the pushback from Democratic mayors in Hyden Biden. The president is determined to bring chaos uh, under control and killing to an end with federal agents. I'll tell you where this political and criminal battle stands in Portland, Oregon, Albuquerque, New York and more. Uh, and we'll get to that, too. Uh, Laura Logan joins us. She's a multiple award-winning investigative journalist. We're lucky enough to have her at Fox Nation and Fox News. Laura, welcome. I appreciate you giving us some moments out of your vacation. Oh, thank you so much, Brian. So, Laura, I'm starting to see some trends, and I and I contacted you last night, and I'm starting to see this. First, Joe Biden said it. I bet you the president won't leave after I win. We'll bring we'll bring the military in to escort him out. And now we see the Washington Post today. Rob Costa said the, there's a thought that what if the president just refuses to leave and uses these militia members to keep him in power? And then I hear Eric Holder. Cut 33. His yep, attempt to you know, um, talk about mail-in voting and all the fraud that is um, associated with it is factually incorrect. He's just trying to set up a, a, a situation where he has the ability to delegitimize a vote that he might lose. We have to be prepared for things that this nation has never faced um, before. And unfortunately, that could involve the use of, uh, you know, these these forces. Is it is this a plan 
Are these synchronized? No, it's quite extraordinary. Of course, it's um, a plan and it, because they're all saying the same thing. It's not just them. Hillary Clinton said it as well in one of uh, her big interviews. And um, then that she had people like her former uh, staff member, Philip Brands, um, who was out saying that he was worried that Trump wasn't going to give up the nuclear code. And there's many more of them. They're not the only ones. I mean, the list is endless. Brian, and you know, it's really quite astonishing to hear someone like Eric Holder say that, because these forces that he's alluding to, that he's demonizing and trying to make them sound so sort of subversive and secretive, and you know, um, uh, these are the forces that he was in control of. They fell under him. They're exactly the same forces. They haven't changed one little bit, and uh, and this is a. This is very clearly a tactic of information warfare that is called, well, it's projecting. They're setting the conditions. Number one, they're projecting what they've already done and things that they have already done. We've seen that consistently. They accuse the president of colluding with a foreign power to um, undermine an American election and his opponent. That's exactly what Hillary Clinton's campaign did with Fusion GPS and uh, the Russian government. They also did it with the Ukrainian government. They did it with the Australian government. They did it with the British government. I mean, there's not just the elements within those countries. It's not even just the Russians. Um, you saw them accuse uh, President Trump of using his uh, power in his office of withholding aid in order to get what he wanted out of the Ukrainian government. Well, that's exactly what Joe Biden did. So this whole thing of projecting onto others what you're doing, why it's so important is, number one, once they say that you've done it, you now have to prove that you didn't, right? And then they release little bits of information, constant drip, drip, drip of stories to a compliant press that is no longer behaving like journalists. They're acting like uh, political operatives for their team. Um, and, and they keep it alive. And they normalize the behavior as well. So that by the time, you know, you figure out, everyone figures out, well, they didn't actually do this. No one's got any interest in pursuing who actually did it. They ignore it completely. They ignore the fact. I mean, that you still see MSNBC and the New York Times and all these other people today reporting and putting guests on there acting as if Trump was guilty of colluding with Russia. The Mueller investigation actually proved that he was guilty. And they still treat him as if he's a foreign agent. Some of them even go, Lawrence O'Donnell, these people, they go on air suggesting that he is. And they allow their guests to do the same, even though there's zero evidence of that. And we know it wasn't true. And and that's what they're doing here. They're, they're also setting the conditions, setting the conditions for whatever outcome, you know, they, they have a plan. And they have different levels of planning, depending on, you know, what, what level um, of, you know, they think is required, right. given the circumstances going into the election. And so they're setting the conditions for the different, you know, plans that they have in place so that they can act out those plans. And it's, it's really disturbing because if you were to say, OK, what do they base that on? When has Donald Trump ever said he's not going to leave office or just refuse? Nothing. He never did. Never. It's never actually happened. So it doesn't matter whether you are a Trump supporter or not a Trump supporter. Look at the principle here that's being eviscerated. The last time they did exactly the same thing. They said that Trump wasn't going to accept the election results. He won, and they still haven't accepted the election results. So, right. so they were again so, projecting. And there is actually evidence that they're not going to accept it because they didn't accept it last time. I know the first time they really accepted that Hillary Clinton lost was recently when they said, well, we got it. Remember... 
uh, Joe Biden could uh, blow this. Remember, we thought Hillary Clinton was going to win, and she lost. So I'm saying, wait, did you just admit that Trump won? So talking to Laura uh, Logan. So, Laura, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is the president's got some assets, and it's law and order. People look at him as a law and order president. So how do you hurt him with those assets? If this calculus was used, the same calculus that killed Zarqawi, you flip it. And you make him a authoritarian. You said that he's he's an absolute monarch. You make the the hard line on law and order look like a negative. Isn't that what they're doing now? It's exactly what they're doing now. That's strategic messaging, but it also has another purpose, which is uh, to tie his hands. Because what they want to do is they've created the conditions, they've created the civil unrest, right? Because look at where the riots are taking place. They're all in Democrat-run cities where uh, those, you know, the, the leaders there could have behaved very differently. They could have, uh, they, but they didn't. They allowed this situation to develop. They allowed it to go on. They told the police to stand down. They said summer of love, right, before people were being killed Seattle. on the streets, uh, inside Chaz and Chop, whatever you want to call it. And so they allowed these things to happen, and they've got control over that. Because they have control over the local police and the, and the state police, the local authorities. What happens now is they, they, they've, uh, they've created a situation where things are out of control and they're enticing and antagonizing, almost inciting the president to step in. They've already put the messaging out there that the moment he does, they're ready to go. Remember, they've been saying this from the very beginning. They said it when uh, in D.C. because he's actually the it's not being a state in D.C. He has the authority to deploy whatever forces he wants. And so they waged a massive information warfare campaign against um, federal forces in Washington, D.C. Do you remember when the mayor of D.C. refused to pay the, the hotel bill yep. for uh, troops from the National Guard and, and, and said that they were going to kick them out? Right. I mean, they were they did exactly the same thing then, gending, you know, sort of really pushing this and animosity and, and um, almost mm. hatred. For federal forces and suggesting instantly before they've done so, anything that they were subversive so, and wrong. So, and Laura, sorry, people me, listening right just, now might say, hey, guys, you, this is just politics. This is what they do. They try to make your strength your weakness. That's when they looked at John Kerry and John Kerry was a guy who served in the military. Well, then they had people serve with him and didn't like him and came forward and made his weakness. What makes this different that alarmed you and me so much? Well, it's one of the things that you mentioned, which is that General Stanley McChrystal and the people um, who work with him and for him have teamed up with um, disinformation specialists and political operatives uh, from the Biden campaign and from the progressive side. And they um, have said openly in press releases and in articles, um, McChrystal's been interviewed. He's, he's put this out there, letting everybody know that he's the, the weapons of information warfare that he commanded in the wake of 9-11. It's reported in the Washington Post as being designed to be used against ISIS. Actually, that's factually incorrect. It was in um, operation long before ISIS existed. And that, that he, Stanley McChrystal has said that he and others are using these weapons, tools that were developed uh, and paid for by the U.S. government, designed to use against our foreign enemies, and that they're using them against our own people, against Americans. And there are many people I've spoken to in the intelligence community who say that this is illegal. It's also the equivalent of taking tanks and firing them on your own people or dropping a, a J-dam on an American city because these are, are very powerful weapons of war. And we've used them successfully against foreign governments all over the world and against our enemies. 
And um, they involved things like, for example, using artificial intelligence to identify the most effective counter-narratives, right? So they don't waste time and money, you know, pushing out information or propaganda or disinformation that's not going to work. They're able to hone that. They've got a network of 3.4 million social influencers, some of whom are paid. Don't you wonder why people like Taylor Smith and, you know, Swift, sorry, and all these these celebrities are jumping in there and talk about the virus and suddenly they're so active politically. You know, and, and when you see all these companies that are, are piling on, this is this network of influence and the tools um, that are being used to wage this. But you know what it tells you, Brian? The fact that they're doing this and they still are not winning, that's proof. Yeah, that uh, that they are not as powerful as they project. I know. And the thing that bothers me most, Laura, is they know Joe Biden on foreign policy is absolutely awful. They knew he was a joke in the military and they're actually siding with Joe Biden's crew and and a Joe Biden administration over a Trump administration. It blows me away. Well, and they also know that Joe Biden, um, you know, is not uh, of sound mind and capable of governing. And I'm not saying that to be offensive to anybody or to him. I'm saying that because it's so it's obvious if you've been watching him. I've spoken to an, multiple doctors, but the man can't finish his sentence, you know? And, and, um, and so it's, it, I mean, it's, it's astonishingly clear. But what that does, you know, that sends a signal to you, right? Because the first question um, I, I then ask as a journalist with my experience is, Okay, they know better than we do what his mental state is, and yet they're still pushing him forward. It's literally the Manchurian candidate, right? I mean, for Those, Hollywood yeah, has been oh. filled the last few, the last decade. There's been one film um, after another coming out of Hollywood that says basically the U.S. president is just a figurehead, right? They don't really have any power. It's really, you know, the government and the people behind them, i.e. the bureaucracy, the deep state. That's the real power. And so, you know, you can have any old old uh, figurehead in that position and it doesn't really matter. But, of course, that's, um, that's very convenient for all the people who really um, want to be in charge of this government and don't, you know, and they need Joe Biden to do exactly what they want. They don't need him to get in their way. Um, and, of course, you know, Donald Trump isn't that kind of president. But what's even more disturbing to me is, is, uh, is that these, these generals, they don't just know uh, where, you know, Trump stands on foreign policy. It really makes you wonder, what is it that they um, are so afraid of and so threatened by uh, that they are, are waging an, an information warfare campaign on this scale and doing something that they know is wrong? Right. Gotcha. They know it in their hearts. But Crystal said, well, you know, it's like opening Pandora's box. Once it's out there, you know, it's out there. But except that they're putting it out there in this article. They're normalizing the behavior. Right. They're getting American people to accept this. And um, and Laura, and also what they're doing, they're using their megaphone in the media. Right. Because they know that nobody's going to call them to account. And we're going to keep calling them out and I'm going to keep bothering you on vacation. So uh, and to outline it, because you have so much credibility and we have to unwind it before it's done. If Joe Biden wins fair and square, best of luck. It'll be crazy, but it's got to be on the it's got to be on the level. And that's what Trump's been saying. This other thing uh, is is got to be stopped and identified. And you're the one to do it. Laura, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Brian. I love being on your show. Yeah, same here. Uh, our audience loves you, too. one 408 Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. 1-866-408-7669. You know what's so uh, sad in New York City in particular? uh, They're saying they can't open up the schools. We just don't have the money. They have plenty of money to be able to open up the schools. They have money for other things. The billion dollars they just took from police. Instead of playing kickball or starting a tag, a game of tag with the extra money, those children's programs, put it into schools. But they're actually holding it hostage to order to maximize what they get from this stimulus bill. Carol, listen on WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Carol. Hi. Hi. I'm just calling about what you were just talking about, uh, about uh, they're so, the Democrats are so worried about Trump not leaving yeah. if he loses. Well, I could see this be very easy to eliminate. Let us all have a regular, normal all-American election like yes. we used to and go in there. See, I like to go in, push the button, pull the lever, know that my vote went in. I don't like this mail-in stuff because you don't even know where it's going to go. It, you're you know, 100%. You put all your information Carol, you, you and I have the same anonymous. Have, you and I have the same worries. If you're in a mail-in vote, you know how many kids go, I'm not going to vote. Mom, you you tell me where to, uh, where to uh, you go mail in my ballot. I don't have time to do it. Or there's pressure. Hey, you know what? You better not be voting for Trump. I bet. Let me see that ballot before you seal that envelope. That's why there's privacy in voting. There's no way it's effective. There's no way if I'm president of the United States, I allow it to happen in great numbers. It will show the balance of the election, and we won't have a winner on election day. We got to pretend on the post. Pretend on the uh, depend on the post office. Forget it. You more calls next. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want to be very, very clear that we will not allow this to happen in our city. And this could only make things worse. And I've sent this letter today to the Attorney General and to the Acting Homeland Homeland Security Secretary, making clear formally that the presence of these federal officials, these federal officers, is not welcome here in New York City and is not needed here. Well, that is... Mayor de Blasio of New York City saying, whatever you do, don't do, don't help like you did in Portland. Don't help like you promised to do in Chicago. I don't send anybody like you're you're doing in Albuquerque, even though Albuquerque has record homicides as does Chicago. And if you don't think Portland's out of control, you don't understand what out of control is. Joining us now is Howard Safer, New York City's police commissioner from 96 to 2000, a law and a life in law enforcement is also, by the way, uh, our fire commissioner. Uh, Commissioner, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian. So don't worry. The mayor wants to make sure that the governor, that the president knows we don't need any help. Does he need any help? Well, since homicides are up uh, 40 percent, shootings up 70 percent, 
Madison Avenue is boarded up. Fifth Avenue is boarded up. I think he needs a lot of help. Governor Cuomo says he spoke to Trump. Uh, Trump just avoided the Blasio entirely about New York City shooting surge. And they agreed right now is not the time. Now, if if you're a police commissioner, you know how to get the city back in shape. But you also know you take your orders from the mayor. How do you do it? You can't. Uh, the problem is Mayor de Blasio has set the tone, which is let the demonstrators, I put demonstrators in quotes, uh, vent. Uh, he, they've been camped in his front yard with his blessing for over a month. Uh, the chief of department of the NYPD is assaulted uh, with a cane, nearly broke his hand. And the next day, due to de Blasio and Cuomo's bail reform, uh, that individual is back on the street. Unbelievable. There is chaos going on in New York, and I think the feds would be of great help. So how would it work? Uh, this federal force created uh, created really after 9-11, but I understand, and you, you disabuse me of this if, if I'm wrong, obviously, uh, the FBI, the ATF uh, combined along with the Marshall, U.S. Marshal Service to make this force, right? And they're supposed to aid the local uh, the local precinct. Well, there's a couple of things that they're going to do. Uh, their first mission, of course, is to protect federal property. And there's lots of federal property in New York uh, that is subject to attack by Antifa and Black Lives Matter. But their second is to send a message, as, as I believe they're doing in Portland, uh, to these criminals who pretend to be peaceful demonstrators, that if you get out of line, you're going to get arrested and you're going to be prosecuted. And you're not going to be prosecuted under the uh, cut them loose bail law of New York City, you're going to be prosecuted in federal court. And I think that is what's needed. Right now, the demonstrators in New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Seattle, Portland, think they can do whatever they want without consequence. What these federal special operations groups will do will make it very clear that you can't do that. And if I was uh, Dermot Shea right now, uh, I would very quietly acquiesce to this because he can't publicly acquiesce to it because the mayor will be all over him. Understood. So in Chicago, outside the Columbus statue, which is this horrible raid on Columbus and they, they protected it and you see it out of control, products and, and bottles flying everywhere. This mayor Lightfoot has a huge problem in Chicago. Her murders were up 50%. Her homicides were up 50%. 47% rise in shootings. And it was already out of control. Uh, and here's what she said to the prospect of the president bringing her help. Cut five. That's not democracy that we saw unfolding on the streets of Portland as a result of this federal action. That's what we call tyranny and dictatorship. And we are not having it. In Chicago. Really? Uh, what is she looking at? I mean, who's she speaking to? I, I, I don't know. Uh, this is Jabberwocky. I mean, it's upside down. The fact is the majority, vast majority of people who are being killed in, the, in uh, Chicago are African-Americans by other African-Americans. She is not protecting the citizens of her city. Chicago has been inept since Gary McCarthy was fired in doing anything to reduce crime. And what needs to be done is the feds need to get in there and send a message to these gangs, which are primarily responsible for these killings, that there's going to be consequences. Right now, my view is in 
these major leftist cities, criminals are saying to themselves, I can carry my gun. I can shoot who I want. I can loot where I want. And there's going to be little if no consequences. And the federal government should not let that happen. But Commissioner, you're win. only talking about a hundred people, though. Right? I mean, how much can how how much can federal agents of a difference can federal agents make, especially if the local for local police force is told not to cooperate? Well, I think they can make a difference because when you when you look at the amount of violence, although it gets tremendous play on the media, it's not that big. It's just in concentrated areas. And a good group, like, for instance, when I was chief of operations of the U.S. Marshal Service, we have a group called SOG, Special Operations Group, that's over 100 just themselves, who are well-trained to deal with mayhem and riots and have been used around the country for federal purposes. I think they would have a great impact. And I think when police officers see that they're getting support from the federal government to do their jobs, I think that could turn around tremendously. So Ted Wheeler is the latest liberal mayor who thinks he's friends with the protesters, but they hate him, too. Think about this. The mayor in uh, in Port, excuse me, in Seattle, she's like, oh, it's going to yeah. be a summer of love. And they end up going for her house in Oakland. The same thing. They break down her gate. Uh, they defile her house when she said, leave the protesters alone. And we know in Chicago, this mayor is anything but popular. And now we have our mayor, who's hated as much by the protesters as he is by the police force. They think they're at one. Listen to Ted Wheeler, who is the liberal mayor of Portland, who has allowed his city to be overrun by these anarchists for 55 days. Cut eight. This is a egregious overreaction on the part of the federal officers. There was nothing that I saw in that warranted this reaction. This is not a de-escalation strategy. This is flat-out urban warfare. And when he goes to make a speech, they start screaming, F. Ted Wheeler, quote, do your job, get out. So when are they going to realize that their allies are their enemies and their enemies look at the acquiescence as weakness and opportunity. What is it going to take? Well, it's going to take the public standing up, the good citizens of those cities, standing up and saying, as the mayor of Seattle did after the murders uh, in the area that was taken over in Seattle, somebody has to say enough is enough. What these criminals and what these people are are criminals. They're not peaceful protesters look at weakness as a free ride. They say, look, the mayor says it's okay. Let's go out, loot, steal, murder, do whatever we want. It's not the people who really care who are peaceful protesters. It's a group of criminals and anarchists who are causing what's really become a cultural revolution in this country where you can't say anything that's true about what these people are doing. And that's why we need to keep telling the truth And the good citizens of this country need to stand up and say enough is enough. You know, it's amazing. And I want to get involved in politics. uh, But Barack Obama was grew up in Chicago. I mean, he knows the city like the back of his hand. He knew the homicides were happening. Rahm Emanuel was his chief of staff for eight years. He never did any of this. It's this president really doesn't know Chicago, who's saying how many murders, 17 over the weekend, 400, uh, 400 over the last two months, up 50 percent. How much, so he's sending in troops. Is there more Washington could do, more Trump can do? 
you know, I, I think this is a great first step. You know, I don't care about politics, but I do care about saving people's lives. And Barack Obama for eight years said, it's not my problem, but it is. It's everybody's problem. And the federal government has a lot of resources. And if the mayors of these cities stood up and said, we need your help and let's work together on this, we could fix it pretty quickly. But it's pretty clear that they're they're fine with uh, anarchy in their cities. And that's when a responsible president Mm -hmm. has to take charge. And if the governors and the uh, mayors won't do it, then I commend President Trump and what he's doing. He's trying to save lives. And you know, it's amazing. If I'm a mayor and I want to make a national name, work with Republicans. And then next thing you know, you become an effective legislator. And they are so rare these days. And the American public is moving so far away from the extreme right and extreme left. They would be the first one there. They could say, meet me in the in the lane called getting things done, as opposed to uh, let me try to impress the next chairman of the DNC or uh, or the next nominee for president on the left or right. Uh, Commissioner, thanks so much. Always appreciate it. Good to be with you, Brian. Howard Safer, former police commissioner. By the way, where's Mike Bloomberg? He presided and took such great pride over over reducing crime in the city for 12 years. And now he's invisible. You know why he is? He is on the sideline because he knows if he speaks up and tells the truth, it'll make Democrats look bad. And he doesn't want to do that because it would help Donald Trump. Bitterness. Anthony Munoz is next. You know, your kids are getting back on the field right now. We're going to start watching baseball as soon as tonight, basketball in two weeks. We're watching soccer. Well, let's talk about Victory Beyond Competition, his new, his new group that's out there. And I think it's got it's victorybeyondcompetition.org is his website. Check it out. And you're going to like uh, listening to one of the finest football players in the history of the game. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. One more snap, and this one will then be over. This is it. The Cincinnati Bengals were the last team to lose in the regular season. They won their first six. They're the last AFC team to lose in the total season. AFC champions. En route to Miami in the Super Bowl. 21-10 over Buffalo. Uh, and there you go. One of the highlights of um, uh, Anthony Munoz's career. And he joins us right now. He's probably uh, pound for pound uh, fine, one of the finest football players to ever play the game, let alone offensive lineman. And he joins us now from an undisclosed location after 13 years in the NFL, making even more of an impact afterwards. One of the things he's going to be talking about is this program called Victory Beyond Competition. Uh, and as you could find it on victorybeyondcompetition.org. Anthony, welcome uh, to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me. First of all, i got to say, big fan, big fan, and I appreciate the opportunity to, to chat a little bit today. So, you know, it's amazing. Someone says, yeah, Anthony Munoz, of course, his victory. He was one of the finest football. He got to the top of his game all time. So now he wants us to look past uh, the game. So how should the, the, the regular average athlete listening right now look for more than wins and losses? Well, you know, Brian, it's interesting because this is kind of a tagline I've had for a long time, experiencing victory beyond competition. And I think right now with this cultural campaign uh, dedicated to sharing how all people, you talk about athletes, parents, coaches, fans, I think we need to look and experience victory far beyond all the wins and losses. You know, I look at my career, 
Uh, that was a nice intro with the Super Bowl. We did lose that. I had a couple of Super Bowl losses. Uh, we can look at the loss of OTAs, the loss of the preseason this year. I can look at you know some injuries I had in colleges, losses. But you know we have to look past that. We have to look at past readjusting our schedule and routine with COVID nineteen. Uh, and so I really believe the you know victory comes uh, beyond the competition. You know, competition for me was on the football field. But victory that I, I experienced uh, when I was playing was victory that I understanding that God was my audience and I'm motivated to please him through my performance. And that's where I got my identity. That's where I got my, uh, you know, significance. And that helped, has helped me as a dad, as a husband, uh, you know, as a grandfather now, as a community member. Uh, so, you know, we can look at past that, uh, the wins and losses, and really look at, we can all look at, you know, for ourselves. Brian Kilme could say, okay, where do I experience victory beyond competition? Anthony Munoz, I just shared that with you. Uh, and as you mentioned, our website, victorybeyondcompetition.org, you can go on there and learn more about us. So that is really what's, you know, in addition to wanting to watch some football, college and pro football this year, uh, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, fans looking at our website, and really looking deep down inside with everything we're going through and looking at mm. where we get our uh, you know, victory beyond competition. No, I hear you because I wrote two books. The Games Do Cat, I interviewed 72 people about what sports meant to them. If they went pro, they weren't eligible for the book. It's what you do along the way. If you don't go become Anthony Munoz, did you waste your time? And the answer was right. no, because the wins and losses and bumps and bruises, getting benched you feel unjustly or injuries that prevent you from reaching your potential or not being able to play in college or not working hard enough, would you learn from that? defines who you will be the rest of your life. And just the way sports is, it we have winners and losers every day. And that makes you step up for competition. If you're not happy with how you did, you can change it in the place that counts. That's the real world when you take the uniform off and you, in your case, wash off the eye black. You've done both. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, our president, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I think says it best with a lot of the programs we have there. He talks about not everybody can be a gold jacket, as he refers to us in the Hall of Fame. And he says not every gold jacket just rolled out of bed and became a Hall of Famer. He says, but we have some character traits. We have some programs. We want to make Hall of Fame people. We want to make you know people believe in what they're doing and, and really look at that victory beyond competition, be the best husband, the best you know, wife, the best teacher, the best, you know, radio talk show host, the best morning co-host. You know, so whatever we do, we need to look at that and say, okay, this is what we need to do as an individual. So, when I, Anthony, when it, how does this play into what the country should be talking about? And that's, uh, you know, racial equity and racial justice as opposed to destroying cities. Uh, if, well, we, you know, if we want to help out other people, and they're not going to go pro, sometimes those who go pro say, I'm afraid I'm giving the wrong message, that the kids who think the only way out in the minority communities is through entertainment and athletics. So how do you use, even though you're famous originally for being an athlete, how do you get that message across? Well, I think the main thing is you have to share your journey. Sure, I wear a gold jacket. I played 13 years, played in a couple Super Bowls and all these Pro Bowls. But, you know, when you share, and I have a foundation. We do stuff here in Cincinnati nationally. When you connect with these young people or whoever it is, and you say, hey, Sure, I played in the NFL for 13 years, but my mom raised five of us by herself, working two, three jobs, working the fields in Southern California, working at a Nag Ranch, never had a car. We didn't have a whole lot, never met my dad because he was in and out of prison. All of a sudden, there's that instant connection, and all of a sudden, that Hall of Fame career becomes secondary. And these kids say, wow, 
he experienced a lot of what we're going through. And one of the things, Brian, with that being said, I didn't allow that to keep me stuck and really moving forward along with the injuries I went through in college. I could have very easily thrown the white towel in after three knee operations in four years at USC. But I, I used that as a motivation, as an incentive, and something that I've been doing for you know basically my whole time that I've been retired is I've been having camps, I've been having programs with black, white, brown, yeah, with all types of kids, teaching them what it means to respect each other, what gotcha. it means to, to teamwork, to work with each other. I share the fact that, right. you know, my parents were from Mexico. I'm, my if, skin is not black, it's not white, it's brown, and we got to work together. We have I to be able you. to accept each other. And you're a better guy than you were a player. Anthony Munoz, go beyond competition. VictoryBeyondCompetition.org. Go there now and find out how to get a signed ball and more. Thanks so much, Anthony. Great message. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.